Let's pray. We're going to get right into uh, uh, the book of James again. This will be our last uh, message in the series on the book of James, Wisdom from James, part four. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you that, again, your word is challenging. Your word is alive. Your word is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so, Lord, we are asking once again that you would speak your word to our hearts. Lord, that uh, more, than, uh, Lord, more than just hearing it, God, that we would apply it to our lives. We would be doers of the word. Lord, the things that you speak to us, the things that you're telling us to do, God, that we would obediently apply it to our lives each and every day. God, because we want to hide your word in our hearts. Lord, we want to know it. Lord, not just in our head, but we want to be transformed by your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would minister to your precious people today. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you endue us with power and that you speak to us the words of the Father. And so, Lord, we again give you this day. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. Amen. Glad to see that you're here, that you didn't get taken up in the rapture yesterday. <laughs> this thing always comes off. And um, There's a lot of talk about that. You guys probably heard the news, right? Yeah. yeah. Either you're here and we all missed it. Um, but I, 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 I think this, when you hear of these different types of people that make these claims, the greatest way to keep the Lord from coming back is for a man to say he's coming back today. So um, God is still on the throne. Um, he is going to return. Jesus is going to come back one day, but no man knows the day or the hour of that's, that happening. And uh, we need to pray for people like that. We need to pray for, because, uh, you know, there was a lot of those followers, over close to 200,000 people around the planet uh, that, that kind of follow that, and people are open to all kinds of things and can be open to all kinds of deception. That's why we need the Word of Truth, to know the Word of God and to know Jesus intimately. And um, I, I guess the tragic thing was one of the people that I heard an interview with, a part of that, he said, this guy said, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it either. We don't know who, anybody that's going to make it. We just hope that we do. I'm like, what a tragedy that is, that we can belong to Jesus, and the promise is, is that we will inherit eternal life if we know him, and we can have confidence if we know him, uh, that we can be in heaven with him one day. He makes eternal promises for us, but anyway, that was a side note. Um, glad you're here. This is the, uh, the last message in our series in the book of James, Wisdom from James, part four. Uh, this is called The Quest for Authentic Faith, if you're looking for a title, The Quest for Authentic Faith. We've been looking at this book, um, James, um, half-brother of Jesus. He's a forefather of the, of the church. Um, what I love about James, he's, he's, he's very practical, very powerful. He's a guy that just cuts to the chase. He was not like a, you know, he's not like a Pharisee theologian that Paul was, you know, that had, um, you know, he was an expert in the law um, like Paul was. But James is kind of guy, if you would, he's kind of a blue-collar theologian. 
kind of a bricklayer preacher. You know, uh, he, when, when he's talking, he basically says, here, let me, let me remove any confusion you might be having. And uh, you read the book of James, and uh, there's really not a lot of gray or what is he trying to tell us here? Um, it's pretty clear what he's trying to tell us, what he's trying to tell us and, and I just I love the heart of this book. Um, I love that it challenges me as I read it. Um, again, I read it through and I'm repenting the whole time I'm reading it and uh, and so I, I just appreciate his candidness, his frankness to the church. This was written again to believers. It was not written to non-believers. It was written to um, Jewish Christians that were scattered around and uh, and he's giving them very practical, very powerful, um, life application truths um, to, to, uh, to apply the Word of God to their lives. Week one, um, we were in James 1, 19, 20, 19 through 25, just prayed about that being, he said, to be doers of the Word and not just hearers, less deceiving yourselves. It's the obedient application of the Word that transforms us, not just hearing it, not just reading it, but it's obeying what the Word of God says is what gives us transformation. What are we doing with the information that we receive. Um, week two, we were in James, uh, we kind of like went backward a little bit, James 1, 13 through 18. We talked about temptation and sin. What do we do with those? Where does temptation uh, have its birthplace? How do we walk in freedom? You know, and, and it truly is, it, it's the Word of God and the Spirit of God taking residence in our heart, conforming us to be more like Jesus. Um, James says this, he said, you know, when you're tempted to sin, don't say God is tempting me, don't blame it on other things. It is the evil that is in us. It's those things that lurk in us that are drawn to, um, to sinfulness. And how do we combat that is, is having the word of truth, having the spirit of Christ within us, that discernment, that discernment meter saying you, you need to watch out, you need to watch how you're walking with the Lord. It is walking in humility with him every single day understanding that we're all prone to wander and we're all prone to falling. And it's subjecting that flesh and the, the, our will to the Lordship of Christ. Last week, we were in James 3, 1 through 12, the power of the tongue. Um, James talks very, very strongly about how powerful spoken words can be. And uh, he gives those analogies of, of the tongue being like a rudder that can cause a large ship to move. Um, or it's a spark that sets a, a forest on fire. Um, that, that the, and he, just, he says this, he said, no one can tame the tongue. We have to discipline our tongues. We have to train our tongues to, to speak life, to go against culture, to go against what the world says and, and how we should use our tongue. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. And uh, we need to guard our tongues and what we say and be a culture that speaks life and honor to those around us and honoring God most importantly. So this week we're going to be in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, 14 through 25. Again, we didn't do a verse by verse. There's so much more rich stuff that's in the book of James. Again, I, get, I, I encourage you to read this book. Sometimes it doesn't take you very long. You can, if you're a quick reader, you can read it in, you know, in 15, 20 minutes. If you like to kind of chew on it, um, you can do it 30 minutes to an hour. Um, read this book and, uh, and, and, and just apply it to your own heart. But we're going to be in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 25. Um, most Bibles, the subheading, if your Bible um, has subheadings, it would say uh, faith and works or faith and deeds. Um, I want to, before I get into the text, I want to clarify a couple of things. In the New Testament, there's three types of faith that are discussed. 
kind of in length. Um, first is the spiritual gift of faith listed in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 9, when we have you know, the spiritual gifts that are given to believers. And uh, you'll see that gifts of faith and healing, um, working of miracles, um, those kind of things that are, that, that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 as uh, gifts of the Spirit given to believers. And that gift, of, that supernatural gift of faith, it is an unction that is usually tied with healings and miracles. It is something that, you know, it operates in, in some people that they have a gift of faith where faith rises up and they can pray for somebody and miracles happen. Um, so it's the gift of faith that can, uh, some people walk in it sometimes, or, you know, we all can walk in it at some times. Some people walk in it more than others, but it's a spiritual gift of faith, kind of an unction or anointing for a moment. Um, the second one is conversion or salvation faith. This is for new believers. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Paul says this. And the reason why I'm giving this clarity is where we're going today, that you don't get confused because some people can look at James and say, well, is he contradicting Paul about faith? No, he isn't. Um, They're talking about two different things. But Paul says this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. He's talking about salvation faith. This faith is a response to the gift of salvation offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. This is something that we cannot earn. We can't do enough good things to get saved. There are not enough good works in this life or anybody else's life that can get us saved. It is through the gift of Jesus. It is through his completed work on the cross that we have salvation. And that's what Paul is saying is, is for by grace you're saved through faith. It's saying I can't save myself and I fall on the sacrifice of Jesus for salvation. So we can't earn our salvation through works. And so it's important to, re, to know that today as we look at the text today. The faith that James is dealing with in this text is what I like to call believer's faith. This is tied to works of service that are manifested through believers in Jesus. Um, If you will, you know, we we did that uh, about uh, being a doer of the word. This is kind of a doers of the word expanded, doers of the word 2.0, if you're upgrading or something. Or you computer people, you guys are with me. Everybody else is like, what is he talking about? So it's kind of a, an expansion of that thought. So it kind of a doers of the word expanded. And remember, this letter is written not to unbelievers. It is written to believers. With that said, all of these different types of faith are important. Hebrews 11.6, you know, the, the whole chapter of Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith. It says in there, in, in verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, so we, uh, a little clarity of what faith is and what faith is not. Faith isn't just belief. A lot of people think that, you know, when they hear the word faith, they, the synonym is believe. It's, it's not just believing. It's not just a belief system. It is active obedience following the example of Christ. It isn't trying to believe harder. You know, some people go, well, if you just had enough faith... You could do this. And, and there are those times when, you know, Jesus rebuked his disciples and he said, oh, ye of little faith. And then we go, well, can they have more faith? Sure, you can have more faith, but it's not about believing harder. It's about trusting more. 
It's about coming to agreement with what God is doing. Faith is the utmost form of trust. It's saying, I'm in the hands of God. God is in control, and he can do whatever he wants. I don't get it, but God is in control. A good picture of faith is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they were about to be thrown in the fiery furnace. The king had said, you have to bow down to this idol that we have built. And anyone that, is, that, that does not bow down to the idol, they will be thrown alive to the, in this fiery furnace. And so we have this showdown of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are not going to bow to the idol. They are going to worship God. The king is furious with them. He comes to them and he says, you know, I'm going to give you one last chance to bow or you're going to get thrown in the fire. And they just kind of, you know, you just see trust come over them. They even honor him with the way they talk. They go, oh, king, here's how it's going to shake down. This is my version. You know, we, we honor your position, but we're not going to bow to the idol. You can throw us in the fiery furnace, and they say this, our God, he is able to save us. There's no, not a doubt in our mind. We completely trust him. But even if he doesn't, doesn't that sound like no faith? It's actually great faith. It's great trust. They say, even if he doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow. Because either way, it's a win-win for us. Either he's going to save us from the fire, which is going to be miraculous, or we're going to be consumed in the fire and we get to go to heaven. Yay for us. So you lose, we win. That's faith. That's a great picture of faith. It isn't them going, you know, okay, guys, we need to believe a little harder. Man, Shadrach, if you had more faith, you know, don't, they just believe they had a, they had a loving trust with God. Our God is able to save us. He knows what's going on. We're not in control. He is. So faith, what is faith? It's not, it's not just this belief system. It is obedient response to a loving God coming into contact and coming into an agreement with what he's doing. So let's read the text with that in mind. And we're going to um, just ask a few questions. We're going to look at this text. James chapter 2, verses 14. What good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions or your works or your deeds, can that kind of faith save anyone? Let's stop right there. He's asking a couple of questions. If you say you, he said, what good is it if you say you have faith without actions? And what he's saying is there, are, there is no good in it. And can that kind of faith save anyone? And the answer obviously is No. Verse 15, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. In other words, God bless you today. May the Lord be with you in abundance. And we can say all these flattering, puffy things. Eat well, stay warm. But then if you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. Good for you, as James says in his plain spoken word. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions work together. 
His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the Scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid those those messengers and sent them safely away by a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. So what is James trying to say here? What message is he conveying about faith? Again, this is written to believers. He's not saying that faith or or, or your, your good deeds save your soul to heaven. Salvation you cannot earn. That there's, a, there's a simple faith saying, I, I trust God for salvation. He is talking about believers' faith. Now that you belong to Jesus, now that you are walking with Christ, because this is a letter to believers, it's a letter to us, now that you're walking with Him, now that He is the Lord and Savior of your life, what in you shows that you belong to Him? And he starts this out, if a man claims to have faith but no works, can that faith save him? No, it cannot. It should be out of our love for Jesus that we should be motivated to good works. Hebrews 10.24 says this, provoke or motivate each other to love and good works. We should be doing that with each other. We should be provoking each other, motivating to love and good works. Good works that are motivated by love, love for Jesus first and love for people. What did, what did, the Bible, what did Jesus say? You can, you can sum up all the law and the prophets to these two things, love God with all your heart and love people. So we should be motivated by our love for him and our love for him should motivate us to love others. Loving here, loving others, provoking motivating each other out of love. Again, this is not tormented works to get God to love you more. But you're doing it out of love for Him, the works. Because some people can get stirred up and they're trying to earn God's love or earn God's favor, and so they become kind of spiritual workaholics. And they're just volunteering for everything and they're burnt out and they're unhappy. There's no joy in there at all, but they are just trying to work themselves to the bone to get God to love them a little more. That's not what this is talking about. It's just say, God loves me. I love him. And out of that love, he has created me for good works. and I'm going to be obedient to his word. What is he calling me to do? And out of that love relationship, he speaks to us and he lets us know what is on his heart. Then in verses 15 through 17, James He gives us an example. He said, you know, suppose a brother or sister is in need. They have no food or no clothing. And then we say to them, goodbye and and, and God bless you and, and eat well, stay warm. And we can even, we speak all these blessings. We can tell them that God loves them. And James is saying, you know, you can say a lot of words and you can even speak what we would say. You can speak faith over them. You know, I bless you in the name of the Lord. Well, he's saying, what good is that? Give them something to eat. You really want to bless them? You really want to to show them the love of God? Do something. Serve them. And what he's saying here is, don't tell me about your faith. Show me. Prove it by how you live. Is the life of Jesus manifested 
in us more than our words. It must be accompanied by action. Jesus used the illustration that we're all familiar with. You know, uh, the, the, the guy who was, uh, you know, he was an expert in religious law, and, he, and, and, and he's asking Jesus, who's my neighbor? Remember that? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. There was a man that fell among thieves, and he was beaten, left for dead, bloodied, bruised. And then something interesting came along. This is, uh, this is from the Gospels. You can, you can read about this. The Good Samaritan, we're, we're all familiar with this. He said, this guy's left for dead in the ditch, and then a priest comes along, sees him, and goes to the other side of the road and ignores him. Then a short time later, here comes a Levite. You notice who Jesus is saying that are ignoring him? It's the church people. Jesus is making a statement with this story. And he's making a statement to us. He said, you know, here's the church people is, you know, well, I, oh man, I'm on my way to church. I've got my church clothes on and God bless you. Be well. Hope you're going to be okay laying over there in the ditch. And they pass him by. And then the Samaritan comes along. And the Samaritan, were, they were despised people of the day. Jews that had nothing to do with Samaritans. They were looked down upon. He said, a Samaritan comes along, goes to this guy, bends down, and he begins to help him and bandage his wounds. He loads him up on his, his donkey. He takes him into a nearby town, gets him a place to stay, tells the innkeeper, here's money for his night's stay. If he incurs any other expenses, let me know. I'll pay for it. Jesus is saying, who's the neighbor here? And then this guy, the teacher of religious law, he can't even bring himself to say Samaritan because it was just like, well, he said, the one who helped the man. And he said, yeah, go and do likewise. You want to, you want to, let, let, let me t show you what faith is. It's, 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 it's love in action. That's what faith is. And see, these church people, this priest, this Levite, they had dead faith. They had useless faith on their way to church, and they can miss out on a divine opportunity, a divine appointment. Faith without works is dead and useless. Then in verse 18, James says, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. And he says, show me your faith without your deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. And he's, this is what he's saying. This is true faith. Authentic, genuine faith shows itself in how we live. And so he's even dealing with people who go, I'm not called to that. You, you take care. I'll, I'll, do the, I'll do the faith department. That's my calling in life. I'll, I'll, I'm called to be faith. You, you're called to be works. I'll take care of the faith department. You take care of the works department. And he's like, no, it doesn't happen that way. They are interconnected. You cannot separate them. Authentic faith shows itself by how we live. It isn't just knowledge but it should, it should motivate us through love. Again, not motivated by workaholic. It's motivated by love to good works. It should not be separated. We should live what we believe. Listen to what Jesus says. In the same way, when he's talking about the, as believers, we're salt and light. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they might see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Did you hear that? 
Let your light shine before men that they might see your good works. So how do we let our light shine before men? It is through the works that are motivated by love. And he says, when the world sees your love-motivated works, they will glorify the Father in heaven. Faith in action. Our words should demonstrate to the world that Christ is in us. Colossians 3, Paul says this, do everything to the glory of God. At work, at play, getting together with your friends, your relationships, you should do all to the glory of God that people would see Christ in us. This was a saying a long time ago, um, and, I, and it bears repeating. I was reminded of this when I was preparing this uh, message. It says, if Christianity was a crime, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you? Do people recognize that you are one that belongs to Jesus? Then James takes it a step further, as if maybe that wasn't clear enough. He's like, okay, verse 19, you believe that there's one God? Good for you. And here's what he said, even the demons believe and shudder. The demons tremble in fear at the name of Jesus. But you notice that their, their believing in Jesus does not cause transformation to the demon's heart. Good theology does not cause transformation. Did you guys know demons have great theology? Everybody's like, whoa. The demons have great theology. They know who Jesus is. And so good theology really means nothing. Again, it's the doers of the word instead of just hearers of the word. We can have good theology, but if we don't have practical application of that theology, it really means nothing. To take that step further, to, to give you a parallel passage, Luke 8, remember when Jesus is dealing with a demoniac. Well, Jesus comes up on the shore of the Gadarenes, and this demoniac, filled with demons, comes running up to him and says, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, and falls down at Jesus' feet. We have a demon worshiping. Good theology. Worship, but not transformation. You can throw up your hands and go, God is good, and it really means nothing unless there's practical application and obedience in your life to Jesus. So this demoniac, Jesus, son of the most high God, declaring who Jesus was. They knew who he was. They even had a fear of the Lord. But just because they say the right things, just because we say the right things, that doesn't mean that we are living it. How are we living it? day to day. And that's why James says just belief isn't faith. If belief were faith, the demons would be saved because they believe God and they fear God. They even worship God. But it has to be manifested in action. Don't just be hearers of the word. Be doers. Don't just listen to a sermon today. Go out there tomorrow and be a living sermon for everyone to read, everyone to see. Be a living sermon that the faith of Christ, motivated in love and good works, is evident in your life. How do I live among the world? That's faith in action. You've heard me say it before, but I'm telling you, it is exactly what the world is looking for us in believers, is, is how do I live among the world? How is my marriage in front of the world? 
Because I can preach a 52-week sermon series on how to have an awesome, fantastic, exciting, great marriage. But the greatest message and the greatest sermon I'm going to preach is how I treat this woman. How I walk with her day to day. What are people seeing? How do I speak to her? How do I treat her? I can do a series on being a parent, but how do I treat my kids? Let's start being a sermon and not just hearing the sermon. Let's put our faith in action. How am I at work? What kind of a worker am I? What kind of a living sermon am I at, at my workplace? Do I take advantage of situations at work? Do I badmouth? Do I join in the gossip that's going on? How am I when I'm stressed? What is my reaction? Because we're all there. We're all prone to wander into those areas when we're stressed. It doesn't say if you're a believer, you're going to be absent from stress and anxiety. But what is my response when I'm stressed? When my team loses, you'd be surprised how some people come unglued when their team loses. What about when I get cut off in traffic? Am I the only one that's dealing with these things? It's kind of getting quiet in here. Authentic faith lived out every single day. That's what James is talking about. That's what he's dealing with these believers. That's what he is speaking to us. That's what the Word of God is saying to us, is how is your faith manifested in day-to-day? Don't just tell me about it. Don't just say it with your words. But what about your life? This is a sign of how authentic our faith is. And then he goes on to give two examples. After he talks about, he's talking about this this thing called authentic faith. and, And then he says, don't you remember that one of our ancestors, Abraham, was shown to be right with God by his actions? Remember when God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son, the son that you love, and sacrifice him on the altar for me. And this is already, this is such a painful story, even if Abraham had a bunch of kids. But, you know, Abraham had one child, and that that was he and Sarah's way of trying to fulfill God's promises. You know, she gives Hagar to him, and they have Ishmael, and they're trying to manipulate God's promises. And God says, no, you and Sarah are going to have a child. It's going to be a son of promise. And through your descendants, your descendants are going to be like the stars. You're going to have descendants upon descendants through you and Sarah. And then God gives them Isaac at their old age. And then God comes to him, and here's this mysterious part of God and this test of faith and this trust issue. What I was talking about is, is faith. You know, trust is the utmost form of faith. When he says, okay, Abraham, take your son Isaac. Yeah, the one I promised you, the one I said you'll have descendants, and I want you to sacrifice him on the altar. And here's Abraham without even flinching, says, all right. You know, he doesn't get it. You know, God doesn't sit down with him, put his arm around him and say, you know, I want you to sacrifice and then whisper in his ear, you're not really going to have to do it. Just, pl- just play the game with me. He doesn't give him any information. So Abraham goes up to the mountain and they're preparing and, and Isaac, who is an astute young man, says, um, 
okay, we're up here making the sacrifice. I'm not seeing any animal. Um, usually that's how this goes down. And Abraham just says, God will provide a lamb for sacrifice. Of course, he was speaking in faith and he was speaking prophetically because he was speaking of Jesus, that Jesus would become the lamb of sacrifice for us. And so James is saying that Abraham didn't just have this thing called belief, faith. He had transformed, trusting faith in God that God said, do this, and he did not bat an eye. He just obediently followed after God. And James is giving this example that his, it was his actions that caused him to be a man of faith to the point where God says, you are my friend. How would you like that title? You're a friend of God. And then he gives another example, which is interesting to me. He gives Abraham, the, the father of the faith, and Rahab, the lowly harlot, who hid the spies when they were looking in Jericho, and she hid them and helped them get away. And, 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 and James is saying that you know, her faith was in action. Her faith, um, she believed what the word of the Lord was and, and, and she took these guys and she hid them and, and her faith was not just a belief faith, but her faith was action. Have you ever thought about why James gives those two examples, Abraham and Rahab? Both giving active, obedient faith. He could have used anyone. He could have used Abraham and Paul. Uh, you know, I mean, he could, have, he could have used all kinds of people, Abraham and David. But here's what I think. I think this is a call for anyone and everyone, no matter where you are at on the spectrum, because it's the father of faith and it's a lowly harlot who just simply believed God and anyone that's in between. Doesn't matter where you're at on the spectrum, where, what, your, what your upbringing was. And Abraham was somewhat favored of God, and we don't have a lot on Rahab except she's a lowly harlot and had a rough life. And God is saying, doesn't matter what lot in life, what cards you were dealt, what pain or things that you have gone through, you have the opportunity for great faith, no matter where you fall out on the spectrum. They believed with action, and God recognizes them. So in closing, I want to go to the words of Jesus about faith and works and that we need both and they're not to be separated. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about judgment day. And he says this, he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not, and listen to this, these are people standing before the judgment seat. And he said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And he says this, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. And what he is saying there is he is talking about the intimate side of God, that God wants a relationship. When he says, I never knew you, the word know there is a word, it's the word for intimacy, and so there are going to be people that stand before God and have many works to their credit. They're going to, they have done a lot of things, even to the point where they are, they are defending themselves at the judgment. They're looking at God, they're looking at Jesus, and they're going, here's the list. 
You see this, I, I, I cast out demons in your name, I did miracles in your name, and they're going to go through the works. That's why works alone are not going to get it. And he's not even going to recognize their works. He said, here's the problem is I never knew you. And that's those workaholics in the faith where they're just trying to do a lot and not trusting in his relationship and, and being motivated out of the love relationship with God and having an intimate relationship with God, a surrendered life to Jesus, being motivated by love. I never knew you. So just works without faith and intimacy misses the mark. We become driven to have our good works outweigh our bad. Problem is, is this is torment. We're never doing enough. This is like all the other religions in the world. We're just hoping the, the good outweighs the bad. The only problem, those kind of people at the judgment seat, is you're going to be compared to the righteousness of Jesus. How many good works do you have to do to be equivalent to the righteousness of Jesus? There are, there, there's not enough works that you could ever do. Intimacy, love relationship helps us to hear his voice, know his heart, and then he shows us what he wants us to do in love and good works. Jesus said, my sheep will know my voice. Then in Matthew 25, Jesus gives this illustration about the judgment again. And, and he's talking about the sheep and the goats. That the sheep will be on his right hand, the goats on his left. And he looks at the goats, the people that will be cast aside in eternal judgment. And he says, when I was hungry, you did not feed me. When I was sick in prison, you did not visit me. When I was naked, you did not clothe me. And it says that they will look at him on that day and say, Lord, when did we see you that way? When did we see you hungry and, and, and naked? And, and when did we see you sick and in prison and didn't visit you? When did that happen? And Jesus says, I tell you, when you were not doing it to the least of these, love and good works motivated by a love from Jesus, he said, you were not doing it unto me. Depart from me. But then he's going to look at the sheep and he says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was Sick and in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And it says the sheep are going to ask the same question as the goats. They're going to say, Lord, when did we see you like that? In other words, they're not going to be saying, yeah, you're right, we did. Look at all the works that we did. I do remember all that. They ask the same question, Lord, when did, when did we see you hungry and naked and, and in prison? When did we see you sick? And he said, I tell you, that when you were doing it to the least of these, you were doing it as unto me. In other words, you were motivated by love. You weren't counting all the good works. You were in love with me so much that it motivated you to love and good works. And you did it out of joy, not tormented works. What a hard word when he says that. This is, you have a dead, useless faith. You, you might even speak it, you might even believe it, but it did not manifest in how you live. Depart from me. God in heaven, help us not to hear those words. Depart from me. But when you see a need, don't ignore it. If God brings something in your path, you don't have to pray about it. Lord, that person's hurting. It's like the Levite and the priest seeing the person that's in the ditch you know, and they pass by, you know, and the way we could pass by is, well, I'm not, that's not my calling. That's not my gifting. 
You don't have to sit there. Lord, would you have me help this person that's about to die in the ditch? I'm not feeling like the Lord wants me to do that today. If you see a need, meet it. I'm not saying that you have to run around looking for every need under the moon to try to fill. That's that tormented works, but be obedient to what God is saying for you to do. What do our lives reflect? Just because I say something or believe something doesn't prove anything. How do others know that we are living out our faith? Do they see it in our lives? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus every day? Are we motivated by love and good works, love for him and love for people? Are we growing in him? Are we maturing in him? And this is what James is, is not just in this passage, but through this whole book. He's saying, are you growing? Are you maturing? Are you being transformed? Are you bearing fruit in your life? Is the word of God active in us today? And how does our faith work out on a day-to-day basis? Folks, we are the church of the living God. We serve the king of the ages. We are the bride of Christ. The church does not exist for us. It should never be about what the church is doing for me. The church is an active organism of faith. And if we are the body of Christ, each body has a role. It has a function. And we should be finding out how we can become a part of the vision and the mission that Jesus has called us to on the earth. Because we have a very limited time on the earth. And I want to do everything that I was created to do. And I want you to walk in that as well. But let us be a people that love God with all of our hearts. Walking in intimacy and relationship with Him. And proving our faith by loving Him and letting His works work through us to the world. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we worship you, Lord. And again, I just pray that your word would be alive in us. I pray that we would be motivated by you. We would be motivated by a love relationship with you. And that, Lord, we would, uh, in that relationship, God, be actively obedient to what you are calling us to do. I pray that we would all realize that when we wake up in the morning that we are on mission with God each and every day. God, help us to be more than just believers, but help us to be believers that live out our faith day to day with love and good works. I pray, God, that we would have faith and works together. And Lord, uh, most importantly, not tormented works, but works that are motivated by love for you. In Jesus' name.